This is a strategist episode 999.9999999. My name is Abe Belgium with me as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, I've resorted to counting on yeah. my hands. You know why? Because I made a commitment. I made a commitment that I'll continue getting royalties on this well, show as long as it remains in the three digits. Yeah. This is I why I know, refuse. This is I why I refuse. Know, I guess we know how long this bit will go if you're counting on your hands yeah, at this it point. It has to end I relatively soon. we've got a pretty soon. clear end yeah. date in time. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got other things that I can employ in the counting wars. Trust <laughs> me. It, my hands are suffice for now. But if I need to expand, if I need to bring in other forces, if I just need to bring in other people, I will do it, Carter. I will do it. This is not a bit. No, listen. Okay, This is a financial structure that gets me paid as long as this does not go into four digits <laughs> I, of episodes. I learned okay? how you can... Because you do realize I have a I have a thousand episode contract and it stops. It stops. I, I learned how four. to count base 12 on your fingers. It's pretty cool. You know, so you can do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Look at that. 10, 11, 12, and then you go to one. So it's, I learned how to yeah, do so that. So again, Stephen... Audio medium, but uh, yeah. really appreciate the visual. Carter's counting the digits you know on his finger, also known as the white <laughs> abacus, and he's just showing us how to <laughs> the joints. How to kind of little... do that? It's good. Okay. Anyways, move on. Move yeah, on. That's good. No, it's good. Hey like guys, the, the seven, segments seven the out fingers. of nine on my AFL predictions. Eight out of nine last week. We didn't cover it, um, so I'm I'm slowly creeping back up in the standings. Things are are going my way. I will tell you though, okay, the well, Crows good. won this week, and no yeah, one expected us. the Crows to win. Adelaide Crows, if you're out there, if you're listening, we just did. Did you? I'm pretty angry. Did you expect the Crows to win? Were they Were they one of the ones no, that you predicted? No, Crows. I did not predict, and I also did not predict the rich. So you're eating oh, crow oh, then? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they're our strongest start this yet, is guys. Excellent. Really, you know, they don't pay me enough, and they will continue paying me until it remains yeah. at the three. We will level reneg- for these. We'll episodes. renegotiate. We promise. Hey, Corey, um, you're doing well? Everything's good on your end? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. It's a long weekend. We've had two weeks since the last public episode, so I've had all sorts of time to get my thoughts straight. I know exactly what I'm going to say about you and about Stephen and his think piece and about uh, all of the various leadership contests going on. Oh, thank you for reminding me about the Stephen Carter think piece. I mean, that is something we've discussed multiple times on our Patreon episodes. Uh, Of course, that episode of uh, Carter and Velji. Uh, classic episode one of that show. Um, We actually have an ongoing campaign that we will start at some point. Uh, We want a 8,000 word profile on Stephen L. Carter. This is the more famous Carter that does not get the airtime. Uh, Yale law professor, uh, significantly more accomplished than uh, mediocre white Stephen Carter. This guy needs his own profile. (laughs) Get on it, Sprawl. This needs to happen. Uh, Alternatively, we will also accept uh, a 8,000 word profile on Stephen Carter, the production designer on the TV show Succession. I will also be accepting yeah. that as an alternative, both, but I, I do prefer Stephen L. Carter. Both significantly more accomplished than I am. Uh, I think we can all agree. Yeah. yeah. And yet and both somehow. Of them are, uh, yeah, yes, somehow. Carter, have you read your piece nope. yet? Are you going to continue to lie to us? That you I haven't, haven't read, read it. I got as far as downloading the podcast onto my, onto my phone. So now they got the download. And? So you're welcome, Sprawl. Um, but I haven't listened. Would it help? Would it help if I tell them? If I tell you, Carter, that most of the podcast is you saying some pretty crazy shit. Man. <laughs> would that? Would that help? Would that help for you to get to listen to this article as a podcast about you? I've been doing this podcast. This is episode nine ninety nine point nine 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 seven nines. Yeah, seven and nines, yeah. Uh, 
I've said some pretty crazy shit on this podcast as well. I think the people have who have been listening. I don't know if you've got it handy, Corey, but do you happen to have the Jeb Bush thing that I said? Because uh, I believe that, in fact, uh, was crazy uh, as well. Do I? I you know, I wouldn't. I mean, Jeb Bush needs to survive this primary and compete in a general. Jeb Bush is not surviving this primary. He's totally surviving this primary. Mark it down on your calendar. Okay. Stephen Carter said So, today, so hold, on, hold on. Jeb Bush is the guy. <laughs> See? Some crazy shit. Take note. You have just been witness to another card. What the fuck is this? Prediction. Now back to your podcast. Already in progress. <laughs> what was that? Pretty good, right? Oh my god. You donated to us. Yeah, we He's got donated. donated to us. How are we not getting yeah. Yeah. This, is what you, yeah. this is what you missed. This is what you missed. This is what that you last missed episode. last time when you oh, when you I had to leave Carter. Hurry. Ridiculous. We shouldn't talk about it. Okay, um, we don't we don't need to get into that. No, we don't need to get into that. What we do need to get into, Stephen Carter has an eight thousand word profile if you haven't read it. Um Carter says some crazy shit. Let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, it's gonna be May. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Fuck off. That's Seriously? nice. Oh like that? god. Yeah. Ah man, it is it is July. Technically, it'll be August tomorrow, but it is going to be Elizabeth May, more than likely, Corey, because former Green Party leader Elizabeth May is going to run again for her old job and is now proposing that she share responsibilities with a co-leader so that if and when, no, let's take out the if, when the Green Party is successful, Corey, we're going to have co-prime ministers. This is what we need. Okay, this is what we need. <laughs> Multiple sources have told the Toronto Star that she's set to join the Green Party leader race. They will announce their candidates on August 31st. There's a whole set of rules in terms of what a candidate is and looks like and the signatures and all that sort of stuff. And let's get into it. But Stephen Carter, top line thoughts about the fucking Green Party. And like, I say that because I think for many, the Green Party for the longest time had the right idea, even seemed to be gaining a bit of momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, some would even say that Amy Paul was a step in the right direction from a perspective of representation, uh, from a perspective of trying to articulate some points. They took significant steps backwards in terms of how they dealt with her. And now Elizabeth May is back. Stephen Carter, lay it on me. Where's your head on on this? I just think that Elizabeth May failed before and she's here again to fail again. I mean, she just seems to be the most unaware politician, um, unaware of her own you know, drawbacks. And frankly, the, the rest of the population is pretty aware of her now. We're not looking to Elizabeth May to take us to the next generation of what the Green Party could be or should be. We've watched over the last decade as Green Party policies have been you know, absolutely ripped away and gone to everybody, everybody else. Um, and instead, uh, you know, the Green Party stands still. The, the Green Party hasn't really pushed for a new structure. Um, and it's, it's kind of sad. It's, it's pretty disappointing, frankly. But, you know, I'm, I just can't imagine that she's going to come back. Corey, you know, Carter said that that Elizabeth May is not the person to usher in the next generation, the next suite of policies, that new face, the Green Party. Another person who was also saying that was, I'm just going to check here, uh, fucking Elizabeth May. It was Elizabeth May who said that when she made way for a, a leader. And now she's back. And we talked about this on our Patreon episode. If there's a space... Can you blame people for opportunism? Is this just another person saying, fuck it? Like, we're in this sort of political mode of reuse, recycle, 
sort of yes great party joke um, where we're just allowing people yet yeah, you're welcome Man, two in a row like i'm killing it oh. where we're allowing people to come back reinvent themselves or perhaps not even reinvent themselves but come back exactly who they were and say screw it there's a there's a need and i'm here and you know me let me just fill that need what do you think Corey? am i being cynical is this just you know opportunism and we should just like the horvat thing now running for mayor of hamilton just put it aside or is there something fundamentally different here with elizabeth nay coming back after she explicitly said she needs to make room for others. Yeah, well, I think that this will I, shed additional light on the period of time where she was in theory not leader, right? And yeah. make us look yeah. at that in a different way. Because the critique was always she never really left and that she wanted to be leader and she wouldn't get out of the way. And the fact mm-hmm. that she's running for leader again right now, I think, certainly provides some strong validation that that's likely to have been the case. You know, That, that, that yeah. there was a challenge with her not getting out of the way. Now, a couple things. One is there are only two Green MPs right now. It does sort of make sense that your leader be in the House of Commons. And this is not exactly a political party where you can just run in a by-election and get your leader in. You're, you're basically down to a pool of two if you believe your leader should be in the House of Commons. And you got to keep in mind the next election's not for many years. So not nuts that somebody would be the leader there. The idea, though, that she would come back in here, I mean, your reduce, reuse comment was good. I, I saw uh, on Twitter, Elheli Picasso say, say what you will, but you can't question her commitment to recycling. Sort of feel also that. Also pretty good. Yeah. Also pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty um, uninspiring that we we continue to use the same, uh, the same leaders. And certainly if this was a vibrant green movement, you would imagine that new leaders would be coming forward. So this does create this sense of stagnation in the Green Party. I just, I don't, if you ever needed a sense that the Green Party is nowhere right now, you kind of nodded to the fact that there's some nomination requirements. Do you know what it requires to become a candidate for the Green Party of Canada? Like, National to be le- leadership? To be l- yeah. Laid yeah. on us. I, I actually haven't looked into this at all. I just know there were some requirements. 100 nominators from across the country. Twenty, Only 20 of which cannot be from your region. Uh, and I think 20 have to be under the age of 30 is the only other rule there. Like, this is not a serious party. I've seen stronger nomination requirements in literally in local contests, right? We will not let you call a contest unless you can sign up 500 members, 600 members, that kind of stuff. So not a lot of steam behind the Green Party of Canada, right? Feels now. like a Zane Velji for leader opportunity. Um, but this is, you know, from... <laughs> If the Green Party really wanted to be a senior part, a serious party, they would have gotten together at the beginning of this process and, and discussed who was actually lining up to be the leader. You know, do we actually have leadership candidates? Yes or no. And if not, then the party would have gone to Elizabeth May and said, you know what we need? We need a two year hiatus where you come back as a member of parliament and you lead as an interim leader for two years, which would enable us to recruit additional candidates who want to be the leader of a party who could do things like, I don't know, have a deposit, um, you know, like raise money for the party who could, you know, ra- sell a ton of memberships that could be very good for the for the Green Party of Canada. And instead, they've 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 backed into this situation where really Elizabeth May should be considered as nothing more than a caretaker leader. Um, she is not taking them forward. She could hold the reins uh, until the next election. But when you, when you, when you do have a party that doesn't want, you know, that there are no leadership candidates, and we saw this, we saw this happen here in Alberta with the Alberta Party, right? No one wanted to be leader, so they called their leadership, and then they were shocked to find out that no one actually submitted papers. The only one guy who kind of nosed around it 
got to be the leader, didn't have to submit any papers, didn't have to do anything. That's what the Green Party has backed themselves into. Well done, everybody. You're supposed to be a national party. You have members of parliament. It's embarrassing. Corey, this Carter brings up an interesting point. You guys bring up two points I want to I want to hit on, and I'll get to the second one later. Simply because I've tried to bring it up over the course of the last couple of months, it's it's this concept I introduced earlier about recycling leaders and why are we in this uninspiring moment, like more broadly, uh, of the same pool within a decade, perhaps just finding different opportunities and making themselves known. So I want to talk about that. But Carter's other point here brings up another question, Corey, and you've kind of been. Exp- I guess you've experienced this in some way or you've seen it. The question is very simple. How do you know when a political party is dead? And how do you know? And how, no, seriously. And how do you know? Yeah. But how do you know when to kill it? Right? Like, isn't there something to be said as someone who's, you know, executive director of the Alberta liberals, they're, they're, they're dead, but they're still alive in many ways here in Alberta and many ways being maybe like the six members they have. Uh, but how do you know when a political party is dead? We've talked about how leaders don't often leave on a high note. Can political parties like just leave on a high note? When did, when should they end? Like this conversation is interesting to me. Yeah, um, give me some of your thoughts. Well, yeah. So I, there is a time a political party sort of hits a weekend at Bernie's mode, where like they're clearly dead, but they're still moving. And I do think that the Alberta Liberal Party fell into that in its final years there. And actually, to tie these threads together, one of the things that occurred when that happened was. Um, you'll recall David Swan was leader of the Alberta Liberal Party when they were the official opposition. David Swan resigned before the election. Rush Sherman became leader. Rush Sherman took them into the election. Rush Sherman resigned before the next election. David Swan became leader again. So there's a bit of a retread there as well. Kind of a similar situation in you needed somebody who was a member of the caucus, or at least that was the perception and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, when a political party is not doing well, People start just trying to bring back the old leader, the old flag. Now, there are there are times I mean, that that actually the old leader, the old flag comes from John A. McDonald running again. There are mm. times when it works, I guess, is my point. But th- this is not one of those times, I think, uh, for, for the Green Party of Canada, because normally in a situation like that, you still see a critical mass of enthusiasm and energy and, and people believe they're in the race and they're contesting. I think the big problem I have for the Green Party right now, or the thing that I struggle with is, like to your question of how do you know if they're dead? You know, there's this, there's, politics is not like business. It's not like you must always be growing or you're dead. You know, there's, there's ebbs and there's flows. You're up, you're down, you keep the flame alive. All of a sudden you strike and voila, you're Bernie Sanders. And even though you don't Mm -hmm. become candidate, you create a moment, right? That, that happens in politics in a way it doesn't in business. But you do have to ask yourself, like, not, not so much what's the what's the trajectory in the moment, but what's the overall trajectory of this political party? Why does it exist? And the test that I always encourage political parties to, to think about is if if tomorrow we were all struck dumb and nobody knew, like just, this political party, no political parties existed. Would anybody come to the conclusion we need to create a Green Party of Canada? What is the need that they are filling? at this point that makes them uh you know necessary to the political conversation and i think that as green politics have become so much more important in this country particularly when you look at the liberal party of canada because they've had the chance to implement it but also with the ndp why does the green party exist it, it, arguably last election they didn't even have the most ambitious environmental platform so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When a political party is at risk of dying, to answer your question, it's because they no longer have a reason to exist. 
and they are only being propelled forward and perpetuated forward by kind of the members that are still there. You know, the people who are there because of like tribal connections more than anything. Like nostalgia or something. Exactly. Something. Yeah. Right? And not because there's a need. Um, because again, you know, if, if they're filling a need, they'll ebb, they'll flow. Maybe it's their moment. Maybe it's their not, but they'll survive. Somebody will carry the torch. But if they're not actually doing anything, they will ultimately die. Carter, would you would you kill the Green Party, or or is is actually killing a political party much easier said than done? That it's always entangled with emotions. It's always entangled with you know the diehards are going to be there. Is the best thing for the Green Party to reinvent or kill themselves right now? Honestly, like for as a political operation, I think it's to reinvent. I think that we have a... Uh, as what? As what need? To Corey's point, what's the need? I think that we have a need to link economics to green in a different way. I think that right now what we've got, um, the challenge that we've always had, and I think that what makes our Green Party different than, uh, for example, the German Green Party, is that the, G- the German Green Party had success by linking together different kind of ideolo- ideologies that made them more... Uh, more predictable and more acceptable to the mainstream because it wasn't just about a green policy. It was about creating a green society, a society that that uh, was more sustainable, that had better better platform, better. Our problem was that the Green Party of Canada decided to create themselves as a right wing Green Party, and I think that and, and Elizabeth May, when it came in, when she came in, she wasn't very successful in walking away from that old. Uh, Green Party location of of right wing policies. You have to go back uh, quite a ways to actually find a platform that kind that that put them into in. Well, actually, you can't go back in our Green Party of Canada and find a left of center Green Party. It was always a really wa- weird combination of left and center and right of center. If we ha- had the capacity to go forward and create a Green Party that made sense, you'd have a sustainable um, a sustainable party where. Childcare, education, healthcare, uh, all became part of what does it mean to be green? Um, what does it mean to like? Uh, what does it mean to relook at the way that we run our healthcare system? Uh, we run our healthcare system where we don't take care of people when they're at their most vibrant, but we take care of people when they're at their most unvibrant. Like, is that the way that we wanted to actually build it? I don't know. It'd be really interesting to have a conversation with a party that actually said. You know, what What would a better system look like? We won't feed people, but we'll replace their hips. Does that make sense? Is that a good choice? You know, is that the choice we want to run with? It'd be fun. What are you laughing at, Zane? Both unvibrant. Yeah, they're and- most unvibrant is, is really <laughs> super. What? We'll feed people who have no hips? I, I missed that last No, part. no, no, it's fine. It's we'll fine. Be- you know what? You guys not understanding is part of my genius. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure someone appreciated. I, that. I know they did. I just I'm wasn't huge in this town. Just, I just wasn't. Just, well, we go beyond the town, Corey. From your perspective, talk to me about what you would suggest to Elizabeth May. She says that I'm. I'm going to run. She says the justification is actually exactly the one you gave. It's one of two people. The other guy doesn't want to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I've done it. I can do it. Fuck, I'll do it. I'm doing the co-leader thing because, you know, maybe I'll let some new talent onboard itself. Maybe that person can be from outside of the caucus of two. The other guy doesn't want to do it. Uh, right? So, okay, there'll be a co-leader situation. What advice would you give her? If, if reinvention is the strategy, what advice would you give to a leader that's coming back that is a known commodity? Can someone who is a known commodity um, have another chapter that's perhaps fundamentally different? 
that it, that looks different, that's politically different, that's policy different? Like, how would you kind of tell her to reinvent herself as she perhaps tries to reinvent the, the party that she wants to lead, Corey? Well, uh, there's a couple of avenues I think she could have taken. One, she never would have taken because she would have taken it last election if it interested her, was just not running again or stepping down and creating mm. the space for somebody to run in a Green Party seat, right? And not one that you pretend could be a Green Party seat like Toronto Centre, but an actual Green Party seat like Elizabeth May's. And uh, didn't do that, obviously. The other is she should have really leaned on her colleague to run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know you don't want to do it. Yeah, I know you were just elected in Kingston. Yeah, I know you've got other things on your mind. Doesn't matter. You got to do it for the party. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. essential. I'm going to step back. Now, he probably doesn't want to do it in part because he saw that she was never willing to let go of the reins before. Like, why would you subject yourself to that? So she has somewhat created the situation she's now bemoaning that's forced her into being a leader. I guarantee but the third thing is exactly what Stephen said. I really liked it when he said it. The idea that she would just say, I'm willing to be interim leader for a couple of years. Mm. I, I, I will I will certainly. And, you know, and that in some ways meets her like need for a co-leader. Oh, this is such an exhausting job. Like I'm I'm willing to be the leader in the caucus context. I'm going to put more power and trust into I, leaders could choose how much they want to do. Right. Yeah. She, she could say. This is going to be the, you know, the National Council or whatever. I, you know, we at one point were quite well versed in what these things were all called because they were fighting like crazy. But the National Council can handle yeah. more of this. The president of the party can handle more of this in terms of being a spokesperson. Sure. In terms of being the leader in the caucus. Absolutely. For a couple of years as interim leader. And then we can get this all done when it's time, when we get a little closer to an election, when it's time. And in the perfect version of this, she could then say, and you know what? They can run in my seat. Hmm. Right. That, that would be the that would be a reason. bundle that would give the Green Party yeah. a fighting chance. That would be fantastic because then she's she's out of the you know then they've got a safe seat for the next leader and that's everything. Right, right. Offering that up the the actual electoral opportunity, the actual seat in Parliament opportunity. Carter, you know, I've tried to bark up this tree a few times over the past couple of months, but. The uninspiring leadership angle here, the re- recycling of of folks. Like, it's just, is it, am I just noticing it? Is it like when you buy a car and you just notice that car everywhere because you just have it for the first time and you're like, okay, well, I'm seeing this car everywhere on the road? Or is this like fundamentally a moment that we are seeing in Canadian politics right now? That politicians are making comebacks to lead across the board. And we've listed the examples, but the Alberta examples are apparent with the two quote unquote front runners, the Jean Charest example, Elizabeth May now coming back. To, to lead a political institution or a party. Are we in this weird moment? This has always been this way, Carter. Humble me a bit. Am I wrong? It's, it's, it's not, it is different now. It is different now because there are fewer people who are involved in politics. And not only are there fewer people who are involved in politics, there's fewer people who want to be leaders of those political organizations. Uh, and I say this knowing that we've got a seven-person race here in Alberta for the UCP, but that's for the premier's chair. Um, in, in British Columbia, also for the premier's chair, uh, the BC NDP have exactly one person running for that role. Uh, it has been handed down uh, from H- Horgan now to uh, EB. So it's just going to be a handoff. Uh, no one's even running against them. They're not even going to use it as a party building exercise. The Green Party of Canada couldn't find anybody. So back comes uh, Elizabeth May. Sure, we've seen people come back before. Joe Clark came back to try and run for the Conservative Party, the Progressive Conservative Party, and did win. 
um, against a, a lackluster field. Um, Pierre Elliott Trudeau came back and won after 1980, but that was after the government of Joe Clark collapsed after six months before they literally were able to get the program back together. And then he handed off to his heir apparent, John Turner, and there was still a leadership. Uh, this is a, this is a weird time where, uh, we are attracting a different type of people to politics because the people who are attracted to politics, the people who get into politics, um, who are willing to put up with the bullshit of politics today, they're not necessarily as good as they once were. Um, you know, maybe we misremember, maybe, maybe we just didn't know, um, the cabinet ministers who, who were served in Lougheed's cabinet and Bill Davis's cabinet. But I think that they were a stronger cabinet minister because they actually had control. Number one, they wouldn't have come if they didn't have control. And number two, they weren't getting dragged through the fucking mud for um, going on vacation, um, for, for taking, you know, for, 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 for having money, for having a, a good job before, for having a second house. Uh, these people now get dragged through the mud if they're not every man. So what do we attract? Every man. Do you think that's it, Corey? That last part, pick up on that last part, that like there's a demonization of a certain type of politician and a lot of people who've maybe had means or where politics was a capstone to a, a, a you know, a, a quality career in, in, in one of multiple sectors that that can no longer exist, so to speak. I'm curious well, about that. And, and tell me if you, mm. if, if you disagree with it too. I, I only half agree with Stephen. I think that it is certainly true that the, the average MP has gone down in quality, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that they're, the options they used to be competing with to be an MP just look, well, there's three big reasons, in my opinion. I think we've talked about this before, but one is money. So even mm-hmm. though the salary of an MP has stayed relatively constant if you adjust for inflation for the past 40 years or so, that's not true of like any other salary. And it was at one point basically a one percenter's job to be an MP. And now it's not. Now you're in about the 90th percentile, which is certainly nothing to sneeze at, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's all of a sudden not got that economic imperative. And you might be comparing it to, say, a vice president job at an oil company or, a you know, like the executive director of a large nonprofit. And it's just not comparable. Like you're all of a sudden going to be leaving a high paying job and you're going to be taking a pay cut to be an MP. And that that has an effect. To pretend otherwise is silly. Uh, the other reason, though, and Stephen talked about this, too is the power of an individual MP has decreased. Uh, As we've centralized power in the leader's offices, we've gotten a situation where people are just less inclined because there's less they're able to do. Nowadays, it's much more about carrying the party line, which was always the case, but without the benefit of then having all of this authority behind the scenes, you know, the power of the caucus, the power of the cabinet. It tends to be the staff around the prime minister and the prime minister's office that's going to be calling a lot of those shots. The third X factor is actually tied into some of this. Like it's all one big pile of shit here, right? But as people slam elected officials, talk about them as corrupt, cynically describe this as, oh, you just want it for the money and you're at the trough and all of that. You're also got to say, I'm willing to accept that kind of abuse. And with social media, um, you know, that abuse is pretty persistent. It's 24 seven. Your phone is pinging with it constantly. So yeah, the job is less desirable than in the past. If you accept that, then you have to sort of accept a consequence of that is you're going to have fewer exceptional candidates going forward. But that's not to say there aren't exceptional candidates. I know a number of, uh, you know, of leaders, of senior politicians who are just amazing. And uh, often I think, why in, why in Christ are you doing this to yourself? 
But, um, you know, there are still people who are willing to do it to themselves and uh, because they think they can do a good job. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I, I think it, Carter, jump in, jump in, end us off on this, actually. Carter, go ahead. I just, I, I think that you can find that individual who's still great um, and you can find that person who's doing it for the right reasons. But I think they're fewer and farther between. I think that um, I know that making a cabinet's hard. Uh, you got to balance a bunch of different re- things. But, you know, every time I talk to people, it's still about trying to find five or six good cabinet ministers instead of trying to find 20, 22 good cabinet ministers. It's still a super hard thing to do. And it, yeah. it probably speaks to all kinds of different things. But I don't mean to, to, to put everybody into the shit can, but there are far fewer good people. And I, I mean, I've been up close with a lot of these folks. Uh, fewer and farther between. I think that's that's a, the right way to describe it, Carter. And of course, that's a segment brought to us by our sponsor, Flair Airlines. Flair Airlines, fewer and farther between. Good. Let's move it on to our next <laughs> no. segment. Our next segment. What? What did you want to clarify? Did you just, want to clarify something? Just, you know what? Just keep moving. Yeah. It's a great time, by the way, just to plug the strategist.ca. Uh, not our sponsor t-shirts. Uh, available. Very limited quantity. Uh, on the drop shipping. Uh, and of course, uh, the Zane for Leader <laughs> posters. Um, we are seeing a leadership vacuum in this country, uh, and there is something you can do to help. Uh, number one, put your name on a ballot. And if that isn't something you are willing to do, uh, number two, get a Zane for Leader poster. It is versatile. Uh, it is, uh, it is uh, actually, once you get a poster, I'm officially declared as a leader at any race. I, I, I think I, actually I, that, that does meet the Green Party's entry requirements. Just a poster. <laughs> so, just a poster <laughs> yeah. made on Canva. Is probably enough. <laughs> if we sold, if we sold a hundred posters, we will register Zane Velji uh, for leader of the Green Party. How's that? Just that's what we're going to do. Twenty people from outside of my. I'm just going to look region. That's it. Just yeah, that's outside it. of my region. Region. Just need twenty people. Uh, let's move on to our next segment. Our next segment. It's gonna be him. Yes, we move from it's gonna be May to it's gonna be him. Stephen Carter, new polling from Abacus Data, says that Justin Trudeau's approval rating is the lowest he's had since 2015. Uh, Let's start here before we jump into the numbers. Carter, tell me in the freakout meter, which is a meter that we use on the show often. The freakout meter, the Liberal Party, the PMO, where are they on their freakout meter right now? Looking at these approvals, looking at uh, the peer roller coaster, not the roller coaster. I was going to say the roller coaster that was the conservative leadership that is now uh the the train that is pure poly ever freak out meter where are they high medium low for the liberal party the pmo how freaked out are they right now they should be not freaked out at all this is the normal i mean if you look at that graph the graph is proceeding in in a very very uh predictable slope he has been more less popular with each successive year as he's been prime minister and i think that that holds i think that that is in fact the way that it works now you become less popular the longer that you're the leader um, I would also say that when you look around the world, people aren't very popular right now if you're leading a country. Uh, Boris Johnson was just thrown out. Uh, Joe Biden's got the lowest um, the lowest approval ratings he's ever had. Uh, Macron is a disaster in France, somehow managed to hold on, but his party was unable to. Um, these things, you know, th- these things happen over the course of time. Um, the only reason to freak out would be that if you if you expected him to lead you into the next election and in three years, because I'd look at those trend lines and I would draw draw them out three more years. And in three more years, he's going to be just that m- much less popular. That's predict that that's what you can predict. Um, if you're asking yourself, then how do we arrest that trend line? How do we change this? Then then you've got yourself a ball game, because 
I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Prime Minister gets blamed for all the ills in society. Uh, even when things are going well, there's always something going poorly. So, you know, we've got high employment. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, but it costs me more to buy groceries. You know, we bought sausage today. It's very expensive to buy meat today. We can only buy sausage. You can't afford the the, the pure cuts like, uh, well, like Zane, because Corey's a vegetarian. But the point is, you're like, I don't know how anybody can afford to be a vegetarian right now. You know how much vegetables cost Zane? I had to plant a garden. You know, it's terrible. That's what <laughs> happens. Right. That's where we are. It's the prime minister's fault. So he's only going to become less popular. Uh, I think that they shouldn't be pulling any panic levers until unless they've decided that he's going to be leading them into the next election. Carter, can I interest you in Islam? Uh, no pork sausages, no alcohol it actually reduces a, a family's household bill quite significantly. I mean, that is that was the original promise of Islam. It wasn't Dude, all the other stuff. It was actually reducing was, your cost of living. And I mean, chick- I feel like I can step in right now. And all listeners, of course, please to you as well. Chicken, chicken sausages. sausages. Yeah. We had to we pork had to go casing, and get them from pork casing. Pork <laughs> casing. Allah doesn't like the pork casing. Doesn't he? No, he does not. He does not, Carter. Um, I'll give you a book. Oh. Okay. You give uh, me a book. You keep promising me the Quran and then I've never gotten one. I've probably given you 6 to 8 copies of it. Corey, you want to jump in on this conversation or should we uh, should we move uh, I on? I mean I think that when we talk about Trudeau and and should the Liberal Party be no. Bef- before you get there, can I can I just give a few top line numbers just so people have some context, yeah. right? Uh, 33% think the country's headed in the right direction, eight, which is 8 to 10 points below where things were a year ago. 34% approve of the government's performance, down 4 points just this month. And disapproval is at 51, the first time it's crossed the 50% threshold uh, since 2015 and the lowest since 2015. So I wanted to give folks some of that context uh, before you, you two jump in. Back to you, Corey. Floor is yours. Yeah, well, Carter said maybe this is the way it works now. It's the way it's always worked. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you stick around and, and people, they decide that, hey, we we're sick of you. We're we're not so interested in you anymore. We're tired of these problems, these other problems. And, you know, it's it's one of those challenges that you have. People forget the good things you do easier than they forget the bad things that you do. You accrue enemies in politics. And that is doubly so because you're in an environment where everybody is so quick to point out all of your faults. And so rarely will, you know, parties on the side, whether they be, you know, media pundits or obviously your opposition are going to give you credit for anything good you did. So you get less popular as things go along. So you got to change the leader every now and then. It It is a concern for the liberals if um, if this becomes kind of like more durable or more final. Let's not anybody overreact over one poll. Trend line is not great. I would say that if you want to zoom out from 2015, you can see overall there's just less enthusiasm for Justin Trudeau. Remember sunny ways? You remember the idea, you know, hope and change? Was that what we were all sold mm-hmm. at a certain point? Well, you don't really get that once you've been prime minister for seven years. Uh, the, the feeling is just totally different. And this is why people change leaders. I mean, this is such a conventional, now is my time to step down, right? Uh, we're so, I, I think in a funny way, we're kind of almost used to people stepping down only when they lose, but uh, that's yeah, that's, we've talked that's about by this. no yeah. means a requirement. And in fact, it used to be, I think, much more the norm. Like, oh, I can read a poll. Oh, I'm not going to win this next thing. I'm out of here, right? Brian Mulroney didn't lose an election. He left. Uh, Jean Chrétien didn't lose an election. He left. Trudeau lost an election, then unlost it. But, you know, then he left because he, he knew his time was up. He knew he had, he had taken this into overtime as much as he possibly could. You don't need to lose to leave. And in fact, if it looks like the writing is on the wall, that's when you should probably start thinking about the long-term health of your party and saying, okay, well, 
what gives us a, you know, a shooter's chance here? And yeah. so I think one of the interesting things is not, is the Liberal Party screwed? I mean, that's that's a funny question to ask so many years away from an election, right? But if you're in the Liberal Party, if you're a member of the Liberal Caucus in particular, you must be sitting there saying, well, we've got to think about the day after tomorrow here. We've got to think about what happens when there is no Justin Trudeau. And I guarantee you those conversations are ramping up um, because that's that's inevitable. People will start thinking, even if they're not trying to be, quote unquote, disloyal to the prime minister, well, he's going to leave. Like, he doesn't want to lose like this. And then what comes next? But Carter, do you think those conversations are actually happening? You're saying this is fine on the freakout meter, but you feel like there's strategic conversations happening. We've talked about this a few months removed. I want to talk about it again now. Do you think those conversations, do you agree with Corey? They're accelerating? They're happening faster? I think they should have happened before the last election call. No one wins four. I mean, we have talked about this yeah. before. Again you know, again. I mean, yeah. and 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 uh, you can be uh, egotistical enough to think you're the guy. You're the one. You know, I'm going to win four elections. Uh, but why would you bother calling, calling the third election when you did? Um, you know, like, you're going to be, you're going to get a good decade. Let, that's good. I mean, how long do you want to be prime you know, minister? And, you know, one and thing, Carter, 10 you, years feels like a lot. You know, one thing you said previously on a previous episode, I just want to recall it back here, is that uh, Justin Trudeau would get a huge bump after the Pope's visit. I'm just going to look at the data here. And no, that did not happen, Carter. It actually is the opposite. Did he even uh, do an he, event with the, po- with the Pope? It's a good question. I don't think he did. I think that he, you know, he the Pope went to, um, where did the Mask Pope go Chief? after Alberta? Um, yeah, Quebec. so he came to Alberta. <laughs> wasn't involved in Alberta and he went off to Quebec and I don't think the prime minister was there to receive him. I think that the Pope came and the prime minister wasn't involved. And I was predicating my, my bump to the prime minister actually being involved and actually taking an active role in, in a first nations issue. And he chose, he chose to walk right past the opportunity. Okay. Can I, can I actually talk about this as like a, uh, let's leave this overall bracket about Trudeau's polling open for a second. Carter. From what you saw of the Pope's visit, how much it took in terms of the airtime in this country, the conversation, did you feel like there was actually an opening for the prime minister to get a polling bump? Like, can you be, be honest with me? Right? Not like defending what you predicted wrong, right? Because you did predict wrong. I just want to make sure that's, that's clear. Uh, but do you think from what you saw, there was actually a strategic political opportunity for the prime minister? And if so, what? I'm actually curious now that you mentioned this. It was a, what, a five, six day story? Five or six days about the Pope's visit? I mean, wall to wall, the prime minister. I would yeah, say. everybody was covering it. Everybody was paying attention to it. It was big. It was big. And the prime minister chose not to insert himself into that story at a time when reconciliation is supposed to be one of his top issues. He didn't even bother to to be involved with, what the, would you with have done? Canada's would First you have Nations. Would you made an announcement? That would have looked pretty heavy handed. Like, what would you I'm, I'm trying to go through it. What would you have done? I would have, I, I mean, I would have done something. I would have committed something to, to reconciliation. There's how this many is, lists, how many, how many lists, how many things are still to be done on the truth and reconciliation report? I think we've gotten exactly one thing done now. And that is that we do a land acknowledgement before events. Good for us. What are we actually changing? Trudeau could have taken any number of those 99 recommendations or however many there are and actually done something on one of them. Just done okay, something so- on one of them. And, and he would have been able to do something. This is a this is a detour, but it's also not because I think this is an example of where people yeah. start saying, "Well, we've got a lot of baggage about these things, and why didn't he act in this way?" And then people's brands sort of get sort of defined, which is why it's a challenge to win. Carter, you always say nobody wins four, but we have had four prime ministers who won four: King Macdonald the 
first not in a row. Laurie. And not I'll tell row. you another thing. That is that, that makes it almost 20% of Canadian prime ministers because we've only had 23 prime ministers. So like, it's not insane that somebody would try to win a fourth election, okay? But the challenge you have here is that you still accrue these damages. And usually when you're getting that fourth one, it's because your opponent is really quite broken in a way that mm-hmm. I don't think the liberals can count on the conservatives being for the next election. And, and that I think that fundamentally is the is the point I want to make. Like it's not... It's not a single team just out there on a field. There's another team, and that other team is helping define what the game is going to look like as well. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Do you guys have a pen? I wanted you to write a few things down here. Do you, do you have some capacity to write uh, a few things yeah. down? Okay, either on a computer or on a pen here. Uh, I'll give you a second. Uh, tell me when you're ready, Carter. Okay. Yeah. Or you're good. Very positive, nine. Positive, 11. Neutral slash don't know 53. Negative 9. Very negative 17. Yeah. Those are the public impressions of Pierre Pauly Everett. Jesus. And if you're looking at that right right now, Carter, what's your like, you've you've read, you read like polls for a living. You you and I have been on campaigns where you don't write the, you sometimes write the polls. You don't administer them, but you read these things really quickly. Right, like you've done, you you and I have done this quite often, yeah. In like our work context and a political first impressions. You just see those numbers right now. This is from the same Coletto poll, and you're 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 analyzing that. Give me your top line thoughts, and then number two, what are you thinking if in your if you're on Team Pierre right now? If you see those numbers, um, positive or negative side first. You're very positive and positive at twenty percent, being a neg. So you're negative six all round, right? Negative six isn't good. Um, so. But negative six isn't bad either. The th- if you wanted to interpret this on a positive note, how the hell is, has he got 53% neutral? Um, so normally what we're looking for in this is you're looking for how many people don't know him, right? And yeah. he seems to have very few people who don't know him. What instead he has is a very large number of people who don't know who the you know how they feel about him. How is that possible after watching this guy be a public figure uh, for at least a decade? He's been a part of us. I mean, he's been one of Harper's key spokespeople. He's continued on in, in you know, he's on on every TV at every moment, it seems. The guy's been releasing four minute videos three times a week. Um, you know, how is it that we have fifty three percent of the population neutral? That's the part that gets me because when I first looked at this poll, I looked at the very positive and positive and thought he's fucking dead. And it's it's not because because if you've only got one in five people being very positive or positive about you, you're really in trouble. But so, 53% of the people being neutral means that you could see, conceivably move them. Corey, I want to come to you in a second. I want to come to you in one second. It's so Carter, silly. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, apply. I think Corey and I might be on the same page here, possibly. Apply, Carter, the, the lens of as time goes on, you dip lower. As more exposure of you happens... You know, from the prime minister's perspective, that yeah. you know, longitudinal. When you're less in power people, and, and you, re- is you this reached hundred percent knowledge? If if I'm spinning, if I'm spinning for Pierre, I could say fifty three percent. We just need to hit two to one positive, and we got this thing. The other side of the saying is like, look, the very negatives are your highest number. Very positive is nine. Positive is eleven. Negative is nine. Very negative is your highest number. The trend is that the more that people get to know you, the very negative polarization is going to disproportionately win out. 
how are you actually reading these numbers? This is what I find interesting. As time goes on, where does this break? I think that you have to make a conscious decision to make yourself more likable. And the problem is the guy's not likable. That's what you're pointing out. We know him and we know him not to be likable. Um, but that is, that's us putting our frame over it. I can't believe that people are suggesting that this is um, some sort of middle ground. Like, I, I don't know how people have a middle ground on the guy, but they seem to have it. Normally what I would see, Zane, and I saw this when I did this with my candidate in Surrey. My candidate yeah. in Surrey had um, very good positives and, very, and, some, and some corresponding negatives. But because she had a very large portion that didn't even recognize her name, I knew that we were going to be able to push her positives way higher. Because as you're introducing yourself to someone, we tend to think better of them. The, 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 the challenge that Pierre has is that he's been in the public eye for 10 years and people are in the middle on him. I don't understand how they're in the middle on him. It's very confusing. Wait, Let's go to Corey. He has, he has thoughts. Corey what has thoughts. Get wrong? That we live in a world with political parties, I guess, for fucking starters. Like everybody's going to start with negatives uh, that are like in the 10, 15, 20% range because you're going to hear, oh, he's a conservative. Very negative. Um, because guy, I'm a yeah. hardcore new Democrat. I'm a hardcore liberal. And so that's the reality. Anybody in any party that's really in the mix right here in these partisan times is going to have big negatives. Look at what Aaron O'Toole's negatives were when he started. He instantly started also with some bad negatives. Now, of course, you could point out that he then lost. But every leader you look at going back to times immemorial, if they're relevant, they have high negatives. If they're relevant, they have high negatives. That's just the reality. That's that's an interesting at. point. If they're relevant, they have high negatives. Yeah. Yeah, right. So right. when when you look at the idea of the very positive and the positive, uh, I think that that's, that's a foundation, right? And if you've got a bunch of people who don't know him, we've all talked about Pierre Polyev's ability to stay on message. You two lunatics mm -hmm. think he's good at communications. So why would we not think he'd be able to take that and he'd be able to spin a story? I mean, certainly we know... He is able to to deliver something consistently. And if he can read a poll, if he knows what matters, if he can focus group, he should be able to take that skill set and he should be able to get into the positive space. The other thing is he's not the prime minister. So the lens, the light, the anger, the antipathy, we talk about the longer you stick around, the more negative it gets. That's true in a party sense for any leader, but that's more true in a general population sense for the prime minister than the opposition leader. People are focused on the prime minister all the way along. So I don't see anything in those numbers that would scare me if I was Pierre Polyev. In fact, I think mm. those numbers would make me feel just fine. Like I wouldn't be worried about them at all. That's interesting. Any rebuttal, Carter? Before I move on to my final part here. I just think that there could go either way. I mean, I'd be, I'd be worried that the fact that the guy's been constantly in the public attention and he hasn't gotten any and he's not getting more positive. Carter, don't what do you know think of, worries me. What do you think of the 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 increasing drumbeat of more sort of conversation about the Conservative Party and the turn they're taking with Pierre? Like, do you feel like that is of concern right now to him? Like that that this is a party that's you know many people are in like Toronto Star is like it's going nuts, and other places are like this is crazy. And of course, you might be like, oh, this is of course what they're going to say. But the fact that you know his leadership is now perhaps ushering in. And without any sort of backtracking or plan for course correction, um, certain, certain sentiments, do you feel like he needs to be worried is particularly from like a, even a non-conventional sense that like, okay, 
these are fine in a historical sense, but I'm a very different candidate. I'm actually welcoming in a very different group of folks into my tent here. Yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to appeal to a certain subset of the population for his leadership. The 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 plan that they have is that they will then appeal to another group of the population after he wins the leadership. Because it's simply not going to be enough just to simply appeal to the uh to the right wing in Canada. The right wing in Canada is not as big as it is in the United States and it's not going it and you have to have a bigger group. Um I think that Pierre's people think that they can make a shift. I've said this before. I don't think they can make a shift. And I think that the big the big challenge is if the if the Liberal Party chooses to shift back to the center or center right, which they've been a very they've been a very comfortable party in before under both Gretchen and and uh, and in even more so under Martin, um, you know, that if the Liberal Party makes a move to to go and grab some of those disaffected uh, centrist right, right of center centrists, um, I think that you could see a a. A real problem for Pierre, where he's stuck out on an island um, with a group of rabid followers who expect him to behave one way, and he's unable to do so. Corey, any any final thoughts on this as it relates to the prime minister right now? I didn't ask you about the freakout in the PMO. I asked Carter. I want to round it out yeah. with saying what level of freakout do they need to have right now? Because because you guys are on a similar page in terms of where this is historically tethered, historically pegged. But freak out and political operations are very different. Where would you be right now in terms of your course of action uh, in the PMO and in the prime minister's office? Um, you know, reputation, your ability to rebound, the antipathy that can grow over time, uh, the vibe people might have about you, whether or not it's deserved. These are all interesting things that any prime minister's office needs to deal with. The question becomes, when do they hit the point where it's not really that manageable for you as an individual and you've got to be thinking about the party and you've got to be thinking about your legacy and ideally, you know, your legacy, it, it looks better for you if, if your successor wins than for you to lose. Right. And so you've got, you got to look at all of this and you got to ride it all out. Uh, but it's, you know, there is a point of no return. There is a point where people think you can do no right. And the Trudeau government, I'm not, I'm not saying we're there, uh, but I will observe, for example, Stephen Carter went on a bit of a side show about what the hell, why didn't the prime minister do X, Y, or Z? Trudeau greeted the Pope at the airport with the GG. But there is a moment now where people are just saying, I assume he fucked up because he's a fuck up. Mm-hmm. And, and if you get that reputation and that thing carrying on too, more, too long, and it's, it's about more than the Stephen Carters of the world, but people are just feeling that, then your time is over and you got to go. I think and, his time uh, is over. And so you've got to make that assessment at a certain point. Actually, as we finish off, Carter, you think his time is over. Try your best to tell me the case in terms of why his time isn't over right now with the time that you have. Isn't over? Isn't over. Isn't over. You can you can address numbers. You can address the pipeline. You can address the moment. You can address his prospective contender. Why do you think his time isn't over? Make the argument for the other side, because there's many people that are going to be making that argument. There is only one reason why he should stay on as prime minister, and that is because he's not done yet. He needs to tell us what he's going to achieve next. What's the next thing that he's going to do? Is it going to be tackling inflation? Is it going to be pushing uh, pushing for a uh, better social safety net? Is it going to be fixing the First Nations issue, which has dogged Canada since our Carter, inception? I'm, make, I'm making this your job. I'm making your, this your job to tell us why he's running again. What, I what think is he the needs reason? to choose one of the above. Pick one mm. of the above. 
Tell us why, Justin Trudeau, you're going to stick around. Because we haven't heard a vision from him for a year and a half, right? He 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 had a, a visionary budget. He put forward his child care plan, which I think we will all agree worked very, very well in that moment. He did what he said he was going to do. He brought us a child care plan. Well, well the electorate demands the next thing. The electorate demands what's next. So, Justin, just tell us, pick one thing. Personally, if it were me, I'd be picking the First Nations issue. The First Nations issue has not been solved in our country. Um, we have not seen significant progress under Justin Trudeau. And it is it is the biggest issue that dogs us at federal politics. Whenever we want to do something like a pipeline, whenever we want to do something like a, uh, a social services project, whenever we want to do something at all, we come back to our First Nations and, and the the imbalance that exists um, between those who are, who are, who are uh, subjugated to reserve, put down, put, put into difficult, difficult positions. And then we, we don't have any, any real pathway, any way of um, ensuring happiness and ensuring fulfillment. And that has created all kinds of problems. Well, when are we going to fix it? Are we just, you know, and, and by we, I do mean the collective, we, the relationship that needs to exist between the first nations and the governments is significant and it's going to take lots of time. If Justin said he was going to take that on. I'd say, you know what? You, you get an extra four years for me. You get an extra four years for me because you need the time. So what do you need the time for? What is the next thing you're going to actually achieve? And you can pick anything. You really can. There's a lot. It's a big country with lots of problems. Gore, add to the case of why he should stay. Well, he should stay if he thinks that he can change things for the better still right? Relative to the alternatives. And I think that the problem is people's egos get in the way and they start thinking they are the only one who can do these things that Stephen is talking about here. When in reality, there might even be better champions for some of this because some of the baggage that you know our prime minister has, for example, going surfing on our first national day of truth and reconciliation to name an obvious one and, and carry on uh, you know, to the issue that Stephen was talking to. But you know, you've also got to realize that Sometimes it's not about, you know, governments, Some there's change fatigue. It's a real thing. And sometimes people aren't looking for governments to perpetually ride, you know, newer, crazier waves and climb taller mountains. And we might be at a moment where we're looking for more 90s style government of, okay, well, we're a little freaked out about inflation. Deficit actually may just drop to almost nothing over here, but we'll see, you know, where we're looking for fiscal management and you got to know where people are. And actually, when you talk about uh, the liberals and the cent, you know, used to be comfortable on the center right, that's because the liberals used to be very comfortable, and it remains to be seen if they still are, of moving to where the public was on these issues, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. uh, and in the nineties, you know, we were at a point where everybody wanted to cut. We we had a situation here in Alberta where we had a general election where the PC leader was a fellow most well know named Ralph Klein. And he was, he was, his main opponent was a guy named Lawrence Decor for the liberals who actually ran to the right of Ralph Klein. He talked about deeper cuts and he ultimately lost because he was saying he wanted to restrict access to abortion to simplify yeah. things greatly, you know, but the liberals have, uh, have federally had a bit of a knack for kind of drifting to where they need to be, where the public is remains to be seen whether they've still got that gift. I'm going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our final segment, our over under and our lightning round, Stephen Carter. We do everything for you. We do it for you. Here, here's, a, here's a yes or no question um, that yes. clearly requires more. Thank you, Carter. I appreciate it. Carter, no. what are you going with 
<laughs> I'm going to go with it's complicated. Uh, yes, in some cases, I, but not I in agree. all of them. I agree completely. Let's move it on to our next question. Uh, Corey, I'm going to start with you on this one. Uh, yes or no, can the prime minister go on vacation anymore? Uh, because well, the reason I ask is because the PM is headed to Costa Rica with his family for a few weeks. Seems totally fine. Mm-hmm. It's totally fucking reasonable. It's August. Uh, but of course, he must fly on a Royal Canadian Air Force plane for security reasons, even for personal travel. And it's cost $57,000. The crew must spend nights in San Jose, etc. This is all listed in a uh, Canadian press article. Uh, and of course, now, the reason I asked the question the way I did, Corey, is as the article goes on, it ends with, by the way, the premier, uh, the prime minister had a scandal with vacations in the past in 2016, if you forgot people. So every time <laughs> yeah. every time he uh, does anything uh, as it relates to spending time with his family, just so you know, this also happened with him. Uh, and he's got this relationship and history with vacations. What do you think of this? Like, I, I know I ask it as a yes or no question, but I'm mainly trying to get your thoughts on this. Uh, can the prime minister and should the prime minister take vacations anymore? So I think that I've got a bunch of thoughts. The overriding thought is this is so fucking dumb that people are mad that the prime minister of Canada, a G7 country, one of the largest economies in the world, you know, multi-trillion dollar economy, by the way, larger economy than Russia. I like to remind people all of the time. And we always talk about the economic heft of Russia. And they're worried that $57,000 is being spent on his security if he's going to a foreign country on vacation. That Like, Get your heads out of your asses. It's expensive to run a country. It's more expensive to run a bigger country, a more important country, a more powerful country. That's just fine. He should be allowed to do those things. It's a bit ridiculous that we even get kind of hitched up on and his staff will have to go in the hotel. What's the alternative? Like, what's the alternative here? You just say that he's locked out. We just get him a fucking tent. So here's my... Pitch a yeah. tent, PM. Rideau Hall has uh, some big grounds. Just, just sort of drift into them in a in a pup tent. Absolutely. But you know, I think that one of the things that is interesting about our prime minister is, and it's you know, it's very Canadian. Like we travel globally, but in the United States, the president generally just tries to take his vacation in the United States, and maybe he'll bolt on something to a trip into Europe yeah. or something like that, and to try to avoid these issues. And I wonder if. Unfortunately, we're not in a similar situation where the prime minister should have just picked a place in Canada uh, to go to. Also, yeah. it's August in Costa Rica. Is that that sounds awful? Yeah, no me. one wants to be there then. Yeah, it's a terrible decision. <laughs> that's why it's only fifty-seven thousand. That's why it's only fifty-seven thousand. It's actually yeah. <laughs> you, that's the you want to know yeah. what the real rates are? Oh my goodness! You want to go in December? And that's not going to happen, Carter. Carter, <laughs> should the PM be allowed to take vacation? Should he take vacations from a political strategy? political tactics lens should he be taking vacations carter yeah he should be taking vacations and yes the cost is going to be should uh, they be international when vacations. i take a vac- yeah i don't give a shit take a vacation and you know what he needs to get on an airplane and he needs to take staff with him uh and that staff needs to be able to respond to whatever threat happens because you know what we're a fucking sovereign nation and that means that it's going to cost us some money. You know who doesn't bitch about how much things cost? The Americans when they throw their president on a 747 and he flies back to Mar-a-Lago every weekend to go golfing 27 times. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we need to have the, the prime minister of a, of a G7 country being able to respond immediately. You know, the, these these millennials, these young people who want to be able to shut things off when they go somewhere, the Prime Minister of Canada doesn't, doesn't get to shut shit off ever. That means we need to be able to, to call him, be able to get things to actually happen. This is bullshit. Bullshit. And it's bullshit 
We did this. We did a retreat to Jasper in the off season, and we went to the Jasper Park Lodge. And people lost their shit because we paid eighty five dollars a night in the Jasper Park Lodge. Suck it up. It costs money to to run a government. Stupid asses. There's I don't a know lot why. of stuff that I don't yeah. know. Who, like, who, who was with the drive by on millennials halfway through that? And also the wrong, wrong generation. I, th- I don't think you're talking about millennials. Also, $85. Anybody, we? anybody younger we than at the Jasper Park Lodge. What is the, the provincial government? The, uh, when I was, uh, that part was of the provincial government. I just don't like even know what to minutes. say to that. $85. So, Fuck you, fuckers. Do we guys put on like probation after the flight? Okay, Corey, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I tend to feel uh, similar to the way Dwight Eisenhower did, which is that presidents, prime ministers, they should take vacations. These are stressful jobs. These are big jobs. You need time to recharge. Vacation is important for anybody. It's a chance where you can have some of your best thinking, frankly, walking through the sweltering hot jungles of Costa Rica, apparently. But uh, frankly, I don't think our politicians take enough time off. I think they, they put on this martyr complex they do the wake even, and grind culture thing. It's ridiculous. Even here in this article, it, it the last line is the PM will continue to get briefings. Don't worry, guys. Like, don't worry. Yeah. He will continue to get all these <laughs> briefings. Like, honestly, he's going to be glued to his iPad. Uh, it's just, I don't know why he's going. Like, the article pretty much was like, I don't know why he's going. He's going to be glued to his iPad. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, he's going to have great re- cell reception. Like, he's always available. <laughs> like, you can call. Like, text him. Like, he's available, guys. I agree. It's just kind of fucking weird. Like, the reason I phrased the question that way is because I think I wanted to give you guys an easy answer, which Carter never takes and have this discussion uh carter i'm gonna stick with you yes or no are the leading contenders i'm gonna put leading in air quotes in the ucp leadership race predict for me are they gonna just go further right and just try to compete with danielle now is that what the name of the game over the course of the next i don't even know how many weeks guys six weeks looks like right now leader uh, membership deadline in a couple of weeks is the name of the game just to outright danielle at this point or am i wrong carter yes or no don't play the other team's game. Um, I think that if you're you're Brian Jean, you're going to go to the right because you have nowhere to go. Uh, but if you're Sonny or Schultz or um, here, uh, even Taves. Uh, Taves tried to play Danielle Smith's game the other day, and he just looks like he's a weak, softer version of it. Play something that the other guy isn't playing. Um, so jump the other direction. Uh, that's one of the things that you'll find all the time in elections. If an election is about the other guy's issue, you lost. Yeah. So don't respond to the other guy's issue. Make your own issue. Make your own weather system. And it, it, this, this is what all the candidates need to do that are running against Danielle Smith. Because right now, she's running away with it. Corey, is there time and room for to create your own weather system right now? Look, Stephen is absolutely right. Elections are about making the issue salient where you're the obvious answer. You set, That's why we, we talk about setting the ballot, ballot question. question. You want yeah, it to be yeah. so... The question on everyone's mind when they go into that box, you are the you are the clear answer. And if the question on everyone's mind is how how outside of the mainstream to the right can we get? Travis Taves is not the answer to that question. I don't even think Brian Jean is the answer to that question. It seems pretty clear Daniel Smith is the answer to that question. So why you would play this game of one-upmanship with her is way beyond me. You need to think about a way that you naturally provide a strength that they cannot. And so for them to chase her on this is ultimately self-defeating. And I think that it, every you can see everybody's sweat on this issue. You can, um, yeah. But you, they cannot panic in this sense. If they want to get, if they want to pull up, you know, the plane out of this tailspin that every other campaign seems to be in, they need to take a deep breath. They need to look at the voting base out there and say, 
how do we make ourselves the answer to a question and how do we make that question salient in everybody's mind? Quebec is unfair to Alberta companies. We do the same to the we do the same to Quebec companies that have special relationship with Trudeau and, uh, and the Quebec government. Uh, and then there's a big picture of SNC Lavalin with an X right over yeah, it's it. Brian Jean's tweet today. Exactly, yeah. Brian Jean. Yeah. I, I was going to say who said it, Daniel Smith or Brian Jean? Brian Jean seems to be the interesting case here because he he might be the only one that serves himself well by playing Daniel Smith light, Corey. Is that uh, right or no? Or not, not not so much. Not unless you think you're somehow going to be in front of Daniel Smith on a ballot, uh, right? right? Okay. Because your vote you'll come off sooner, and then your votes will all just roll up to Daniel Smith. I mean, that's the thing is, again, you're not going to if if she's better at it. Even if you get yourself in that game, you're just going to be off the ballot first. So you you can't be playing the same game. But you know, let's just step back. This has kind of become crackers. Even yeah. people that I thought would take kind of a sensible approach to these things. You know, let's zoom out a little bit here. Let's rewind the tape back to when Jason Kenney was dropped as a, as leader or when Jason yeah. Kenney decided he didn't have enough support to stay on here. We talked about, ah, oh, there's a real, you know, if there's two people in the race and it's Taves versus Gene, it could split the party because it could be people who support Jason Kenney versus not. We said the best chance of that not happening was lots of people in the race because then it becomes less clear that the battle lines are all about Jason Kenney or, or even moderate versus more extreme. I think all of that has ended up being true. I think the party is much more likely to survive uh, into the next election uh, because there are so many candidates. But the problem that the, everybody is now facing in the in the UCP is that they're all just sort of, I, th I think, reacting to a different contest than they thought. I guess that's what I'm trying to spit out here. You know, mm. it's pretty clear that when Taves came into the race, it was I'm going to be the guy who can unite it. Look at all of the people I have from both sides of the caucus here. Clearly, heir apparent, right? I think Sonny came in and said. I'm a moderate. I can I can engage communities that have not historically been engaged by the party or have been engaged, but then sort of dismissed. And I can be that change that Alberta is. This is a diverse province. This is a diverse uh, you know country, and and I, I welcome more voices than like that historic old white man's club that has traditionally run conservative options in in Alberta. So everybody sort of came into this election being like, "That's what I want it to be," and I'm going to do this. And then Danielle Smith just started putting out a bunch of shit. And they all started reacting to it and she started rising in the polls and they started saying, oh my God, she's rising. I got to be more like Danielle Smith. And yeah. everybody has lost the plot. And I don't mean that in kind of like a, you know, the flip way we often use it. They have lost their own plots at this point. They are now reacting to Danielle Smith's plot. And that is a sure way to lose an election. Carter, you want to jump in before we also yeah, we also explained why last time we chatted. I, I'm not sure if it was on a Patreon special or if it wasn't, but when we chatted about why, it's because everybody was trying to just get their signatures and their and their hundred and twenty five thousand yeah. dollars or whatever the number was. They lost track of actually running the leadership campaign because the barrier to entry to this leadership campaign was so high that they forced everybody off their talking points and put them into simply trying to survive. That's not any way to run a leadership. And now we're watching as uh, the party coalesces around the most extreme candidate, and um, there's not enough time. You've got two weeks left to sell memberships, and yeah, I mean, I wouldn't fall into the trap of trying to be Danielle Smith light. I would go the exact opposite direction and hope for the best. But that's I, all you I, got. You, so all you got is hope. Can I tell you this though? The exact opposite direction is not just being. 
Daniel Smith's question, but the opposite side of that question. It's defining exactly. an entirely yeah, different, different question, yeah. right? This is which is so, why I totally. ask Corey if there's time for that. If there is, there is there still time for that in, in some real meaningful way? I have to believe yes, because a couple of things. One is there are a lot of UCP members. Think about all of the numbers that joined just for the leadership review. Those people still exist out there, and and lest mm-hmm. we forget. Jason Kenney actually won that review with 51.4%. So As you remind a, us often, you, yes. You've got a big chunk of people, the majority of that chunk, support a, a more, it's so weird to think of Jason Kenney as the now more moderate benchmark, but you know, it seems to be the, the more moderate version of the UCP. Um, I have no doubt Danielle Smith is selling memberships like crazy. I have no doubt that that's been the case for many months at this point. But there are six other candidates who are conceivably selling memberships. And if you start with that big foundation, that UCP membership as it existed, and you count the fact that you've got six candidates versus one, Daniel Smith, if you find a better ballot question, victory is possible. You know, you've got a huge pool to play with here. And you can think about these things in a lot of interesting ways. And yeah, you should still do the work of trying to disqualify your opponents. But you know, you can't dwell on these things. It, it's like it, you've got to find proxies. You've got to work through other channels. You can't make your campaign about the other person's things. I'm going to, Corey, I'm going to move it on to our next question. I'm going to start with you on this one. This week, who would you rather be? And I know every time I introduce the prime minister into the equation, you guys always say it's better to be the prime minister. Well, based on the discussion that we've had, I'm going to see if I could change your mind. Would you rather be? The prime minister, or would you rather be the juggernaut that is Pierre Polyev right now? This week, who would you rather be? You've seen his negatives. You've seen them as historic lows. Are you going back to the basics and saying being prime minister is better than being anyone else? Are you saying, you know what? There's a chance I'd rather be Pierre Polyev this week. Corey, who would you want to be? Uh, I'd like to be Pierre Polyev because I wouldn't want to go to Costa Rica in August. That is correct. That is the right answer. Carter? Um, who would you rather be? And you're pitching a tent, I see, and I did not mean it that way. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I, I realized it was, yeah. it was, it was, it wrong. was Carter. Highly inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, uh, who would I like Pierre to Polyev be? or Justin Trudeau? Who would you want to be this week? I'd want to be one of Justin Trudeau's staffers going to uh, Puerto Rico without, or going to Costa Rica without wanting to in the middle of uh, into a heat wave. Hey, uh, Corey, so- who would you rather? Be? Yeah, go ahead, please, Corey. Can I give you my real answer now? Yeah, lay it on me. Because yeah, it is yeah. actually. Justin Trudeau for a couple of reasons. Justin Trudeau um, gets to be prime minister for a couple of years still. He does have the ability to write his own legacy. His next act will be interesting. I have no doubt. He's still a relatively young man. And uh, the other thing is, like, I I don't want to be misunderstood. I think Pierre Polyev has got this. But we don't know yet that Pierre Polyev's got this. So let's not get way too ahead of ourselves. Some of the membership numbers that dropped and it was just a good reminder to me that in the Conservative Party of Canada, good reminder to me, I hope good reminder to all. This is a point system. Quebec and Atlantic mm-hmm. Canada count for a ton. Uh, you know, Ontario is going to be an interesting mess. I suspect Polyev's got this on points on the first ballot. But, you know, if not, I'm not going to be floored either. You know, I, if, if it's a little bit tighter, just based on the way the system is, based on the fact that this very system gave us Aaron O'Toole. Um, I'd be floored. I don't know. So I sure wouldn't be measuring the drapes if I'm Pierre Polyev yet. I've got to win this leadership. I probably am. Then I've got to win an election in several years. That's a huge X factor. I'd much rather be the person in power right now. 
for a final question, I'm going to start with you, Jason Kenny. It's Sunday night. It's it's ten o'clock at night. Uh, he's you know he's winding down. He's he's looking at uh, the calendar. Uh, he's had to he's gotten his opportunity to meet the Pope, but he's also examining and looking at the shit show that is this UCP leadership race. What is he saying to himself? And what is he thinking, Corey? What is his like one line mantra to himself as he observes the UCP leadership race from not so afar, but certainly a bit afar? What is Jason Kenny saying to himself, Corey? He's thinking, I'm better than all of these people. This is terrible, right? God, I wish I hadn't resigned. I wish I'd been able to. I don't know if he would actually want to run, but I think that it would be hard for him to sit there as talented a politician as he is, love him or hate him. He's got, we've talked about his tactical genius quite frequently. Um, and to look at what's going on and say, oh my God, like this party I created is going to just be handed over to a bunch of people who are tripping over themselves to say how desperately they won't, you know, do anything with the world economic forum. Like what has this party become? Must drive them absolutely bonkers. Carter, what is he saying to himself? And what is he thinking on this, uh, long weekend holiday as he, as he observes from afar, but not so afar, the UCP leadership race. You know, we are often punished uh, for our successes, and I suspect that Jason Kenney just feels like he's being punished for putting these two parties together that never belonged together. Um, I suspect he feels a tremendous amount of regrets and, uh, you know, mourns that which he thinks he could have done in the future, Um, but also a little bit of spite, perhaps. You know, good luck to you, you fuckers. I would be surprised if that wasn't... uh, one of the thoughts running through his head. On that last point, is there anything to be said that this crazy field helps Kenny from like, a, we talked about glory and legacy from a legacy perspective, from a overall sort of like how he's viewed perspective, Carter, and then Corey very quickly. Corey just described Jason Kenny as the moderate. We're going to think of him better after we see Danielle Smith. Corey, do you agree with that? Look, the, the day, the day he resigned, I said, People are going to look back and say, I, I kind of lament this. And he was a pretty good leader and I wish he was there. And you it's because of all that's now. come since. Yeah, I think that's already happening now. For sure, I do. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap up on episode 999.9999999 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time. 